Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. Hi, I'm Jen. And this is the bow episode. <laughs> <laughs> podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of the award-winning, I don't know, is it award-winning? Of the award-winning television show, Criminal Minds. And today we're talking season four, episode five, Catching Out. It won a People's Choice Awards in 2017. (laughs) This episode? (laughs) Not this one. (laughs) Can I just start by saying that I originally was thinking that this is the worst episode of Criminal Minds ever. And now that I have gone through it and written it out, I'm like, okay, maybe it's not the worst episode ever because that's kind of heavy, but it's trash. It's not good. Obviously, we have a guest. We have Jen back. Hey. Gotta have Jen for those shitty episodes so that we can <laughs> have, <laughs> have fun a little bit. I appreciate that. And not to put you on the spot, Jen, and maybe this can be your fun fact, but you recently listened to our episode where we talked about our favorite episodes and our least favorite episodes of seasons one through three. And you had an episode that you really disagreed with us on, but it's not the one that we would think it was. Oh, what was it? You guys do not give seven seconds like the flowers it deserves. <laughs> that is, you guys are like, this episode sucks so bad. I'm like, no, this is a great episode. Every time, okay, just for like, I'm not bugging because every time I bring this up on my account, they're like, like so many of my followers are like, oh my gosh, I love this episode. Like, this is my comfort episode. Like, what? Comfort episode? Yeah. How, how can it be someone's comfort episode? Okay, well, I mean, like, Criminal Minds fans maybe, like, need a little help, but, like, <laughs> I, but, like, it's it's a good episode, and I think, like, I don't, I don't know why you guys don't like it that much. Okay, here's the thing. I am, this might be, like, one of cinema's most dramatic betrayals, but... I kind of did like it when I watched. Like, I did enjoy the episode, but, <laughs> but like, I do think Mac's opinion swayed me a little bit. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh. Okay. like it's it's a messy episode. Don't get me wrong. It's the music at the end sent me into orbit. Imogen Heap is singing her heart out, but it's a mess, but it is very, I was invested. I was very invested in the episode. I don't even, it's been so many episodes at this time, at this point, I can't even remember why I specifically didn't like it, but I think it was that it was like, just, I don't know. I don't know why I hated it so much. (laughs) 
But I remember I, I rewatch like a couple seasons ahead of where we're covering. And I remember on my rewatch, I was like, I'm going to tear this fucking episode a new one, especially this goddamn Imogen Heap song at the end. Fuck this episode, but especially fuck that Imogen Heap song. Don't it's things like that like i appreciate that perspective because i like unless i really know the song i really don't give a shit what kind of music they play so like that does not like i can't even i can't even picture the song that's playing right now don't Don't. but no i just think i just think it's a good episode don't Hey, but the, the controversy. Yeah, exactly. The, the controversy gets the clicks. <laughs> I don't think we gave it like a, a terrible rating. I think it was just like a so-so rating. But I think there's like way worse episodes in season three to be like, this is one of the bottom ones because I think it's good. I don't know. Should we also do fun facts or do we think that that was a sufficient fun facts thing there? Um, I have a fun fact. Okay. It's, um, <laughs> so, so sometimes, um, I really just need to watch a stupid chick flick because I need it to be fluffy and not something to get too caught up about. So I rewatched the movie Valentine's Day. Mm, I love Valentine's Day. I like hadn't seen it since I was in like early high school. Um, but fucking Rossi's in it. Yeah, he is. Like, he has a cameo. It's a, he's an, it's an uncredited, angry, like, car driver. Who's in, he's, like, in the first three minutes of it. And I was, like, I was, like, oh, my God, that's Rossi. And so I, like, went onto IMDb and was, like, scrolling through. And I couldn't find him because the cast is, like, the size of fucking Mars. Like, it's huge. And I kept scrolling, and, and I wasn't seeing anything. Then I went to his page, and it, I was scrolling and scrolling. And then I found it finally, like, at the bottom of, like, back to Valentine's Day's IMDb page, because it's an uncredited role. But I was like, I was like, am I just so tired that I, like, hallucinated David Rossi in Valentine's Day? Oh, my God. This, this show is following me everywhere is, I guess, the little bow to wrap that in. <laughs> that happens to me, too. Like, I knew about the Rossi one because the last time I rewatched Valentine's Day, I was like, oh, that's Joe Montana or whatever. And then, but no, every time I watch a commercial now, I'm like, they were in Unsubborn Criminal Minds. Like, speaking of Seven Seconds, there's like a Charles Schwab commercial currently where, like, I know it was, like, the the dads were twins or whatever. So it's one of the twins that's, like, playing like playing on that commercial. And I'm just, like, I can't. Like, is this the pedo or is this <laughs> not the pedo? Like, that's what I think about now. And I'm just, like. <laughs> so the rating criteria is criminal slash serial killers, uh, character development slash character arcs, Forensics in Context, Script Writing, 
and background characters. There's five categories. Each one can get up to 20 points for a total of 100. We are not in any way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds. We are just fans. Okay, are you are you guys ready? You're not ready for catching out, but we got to do it. Look at look at how long my recap is. Oh god. Okay. We open with a train whistle. Woo woo. Sorry. <laughs> choo choo. <laughs> All right. We open with a train whistle. Woo woo. Go on. Our point of view is as if we're riding on the train looking out. We learn we're in Modesto, California. We pull back and we see the back of a man's head. The point of view switches between us watching this man sneak around and seeing the man's, what he's seeing. I wrote the man's point of view ourselves, but basically seeing through his eyes. And it's like some sort of creepy, distorted filter on the camera. I don't know. So the editing is not great. It's very a la poison. If if y'all remember that episode. Oh my god. So it's clear that this person's mental state is altered in one way or another. We watch him walk along the train tracks and approach a house. We see flashes of blurred camera work and screaming. It's a lot. And then we switch back to his point of view and he's in the shower washing blood off his body. And we watch him huff something. It looks like cotton balls or something in a bag. And then we see his face and he's got like blisters and they really like did do him dirty because the actor is a very sexy man. So they they fucked him up for this episode, may I just say. It's clear that he's got some sort of serious drug problem. We see him walk past dead bodies, the bodies of the people who own this home, who he clearly kills, and he puts on PJs, makes himself a drink, and gets into the bed. Cut to Morgan in a coffee house. He gets his coffee and then notices a lady at the counter, and she orders a brownie. She wants the big one in the corner. And he drops his coffee in the trash and approaches her and says, dessert for breakfast? She's like, yeah, I'm having dessert for breakfast. I got good news. And it's Shamar Moore. So, of course, she's not like, fuck you for, like, judging my food choices. She's like, you're sexy. And he's like, oh, do you care to share the good news? And she's like, nope. And then she says, they must love you here. You throw out your first cup of coffee and then you get back in line for more. So either you love paying for bad coffee or you did all of this just to talk to me. And she says this right in front of the barista. So I'm like, that's bullshit that you're insulting this barista's coffee right in front of her. And then she's like, have a nice day, Derek. And Morgan's like, She knows my name? Cut to Quantico, Virginia. A very preggers JJ introduces the team to a new case. Six victims have been killed all over California. 
The unsub never kills twice in the same town. He's crossed jurisdictional lines, but the police finally identified him because his DNA was found at every crime scene. And it's not clear whether he crossed jurisdictional lines on purpose or realized he was doing it, but it's that's why it's taken them so long to identify that it's the same killer. They are setting up a joint task force. JJ tells the team that the police have already named the unsub the Highway 99 killer. He targets one to two person households and kills them while they are sleeping using household objects. He then ransacks their homes and steals valuables. Then he sits down to dinner. He tries on their clothes, uses their showers, and sleeps in their beds. He makes a whole night out of it. And then Prentice says, quote, It's like Goldilocks became a serial killer. Jeff. No, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, what the (laughs) fuck, Jeff? Don't do that. God damn it, Jeff. Stop. She's just out of control. She just, stop. Sit down and be quiet. She's like, let me knock this over right quick. Okay. I cannot wait for you to hear that on, like, recorded. (laughs) Me saying, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Cut to the BAU jet. Hey, girl. The team tries to make a Jeopardy surface while on the plane. The unsub isn't going across the country in a state straight line like Frank from No Way Out. He's he's running all around in no apparent with no apparent sense of direction, and the crime scenes are hundreds of miles spread apart. And JJ is like, how many unsubs move around like that? Well, JJ, there are apparently two subgroups. In one model, he's an itinerant homeless person, someone who's been displaced, like in Season 2, Episode 17, Distress, about the homeless veteran with PTSD played by Tench. Uh, The second one, uh, their occupation allows them to travel. And as Mac added, like in Season 1, Episode 20, Charm and Harm with the Chameleon Serial Killer. The BAU discuss these two types, and neither really seems to fit. JJ then alerts the team that a new murder has been discovered. So the team is going to split up. Hotch, JJ, and Reed go to Task Force headquarters in Sacramento. There they meet Agent Lyman, who, who named the unsub the Highway 99 killer. And Hotch is like, we're going to distribute a memo retracting the name. And Agent Lyman is like, why? And Hotch says, quote, by calling him this, you are detrimentally influencing the investigation and you're establishing a relationship in the minds of the investigators with only this highway. Meanwhile, at the latest crime scene, Morgan, Rossi and Prentice meet Agent Daniels. We learned that the couple that were killed uh, in the most recent crime scene are the Sullivans. Morgan immediately points out that there are no dogs barking, no security systems, and the street is not well lit. The three basic things that burglars look for. Cut to inside of the Sullivan house, and we learned that the unsub was sniffing nail polish remover. 
So he took cotton balls, soaked them, put them in a bag, and then sniffed them. Not to tell the kids how to do the drugs, but that's what was happening. So the (laughs) the killings are brutal, showing a lot of rage. So the unsub goes from heated rage to chilling and watching TV in the victim's beds. He then puts his dirty clothes on the male victim's bodies and puts on the victim's clothes. And Rossi says, by by symbolically dressing Mr. Sullivan in his clothes, he's equalizing their status. (laughs) And Morgan Morgan says, quote, this guy's got a problem with his station in life. And Rossi says, he pretends that this is all his. He's playing out his fantasy. And and Morgan says, given all this, the cheap clothes, the drug choice, I'd say he's homeless. He wears their clean clothes, sleeps in their nice bed, and then puts his dirty clothes on the male victim's body. This might be some form of transference. Transfer of what? By symbolically dressing Mr. Sullivan in his clothes, he's equalizing their status. Mr. Sullivan has all these things, and he doesn't. This guy's got a problem with his station in life. He can't bring himself up on his own, so he makes himself feel better by destroying others and living their lives. And that might be why he stays so long. He needs that time just so he can feel at home. He pretends this is all his. He's playing out his fantasy. And then Rossi is just like, oh, the unsubs hopping trains. Cut to the unsub jumping off a stationary train. We see him break into a house and kill another couple. Cut to the next morning and the unsub makes himself some black coffee. And we catch another glimpse of an old friend and a welcome one. Oh no. Andre Royo plays the unsub and he plays the character Bubbles from the television show that takes place in Abigail's home state of Maryland, but which Abigail still hasn't seen. I don't know if you've heard of it. The Wire? (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the main characters in The Wire. Bubbles? Like the Powerpuff Girl? Yeah, Bubbles the Powerpuff Girl is a main character in The Wire. (laughs) Bro, that's wild. (laughs) Cut to the train station. We're 15 minutes in and we're about to learn. This is what we've all been here for, you guys. It took me like three hours to write up this goddamn episode. I hope everybody's proud because I fucking hate this shit. And yet, of course, I had to cover this. And I fucking was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do a fucking good job. So no one can say I didn't try. So here we go. Strap in. Get your get your butts ready. We're going to learn about hobos. Or as the kids these days are calling them, bows. Bows. The bulls and the bows. Uh, We meet a man who is a bull or a railroad cop who has a huge mustache and a bald head. And I was like, how is this guy a cop? He's just in like every man's clothing. Like he's not wearing a uniform. And he's like, yeah, I'm a cop. But then we see cops later who work at the on the railways and they're wearing uniforms. So I'm like, who is this man? He's a bow expert, apparently. 
And then all of a sudden, as if it's the vernacular, Morgan is saying, so if a bow jaw... <laughs> so if a bow jumps off one of these trains in a new town, is there some place he goes first? He targets homes within a mile of the tracks. The bulls and bows don't usually cross paths. Bulls and bows? They call real cops bulls. We call them bows. As in hobos. You're saying you rarely see hobos around here? Well, I see them plenty, but tell you the truth, I'm nothing more than an armed scarecrow. They see me coming, they get the hell away. Their biggest problem is with each other. You mean turf disputes? I get two of them in one boxcar. Usually gets ugly. So if a bow jumps off one of these trains in a new town, is there some place he goes first? I just, like, I keep getting the, like, oh my god, stop saying fetch, it's not gonna happen, like, from Mean Girls. Like, like glance across the clothes, like, my eyes of just, like, stop trying to make bows happen. It's not gonna happen. Oh my god, you guys. What the- And then it's never again addressed in a single episode. Like, thank god we don't have two hobo episodes, because honestly, it's offensive. Ugh. Oof. All right. Yeah, get ready for this fucking profile, Jen, because you're about to read all of it. It's so fucking long. Why is it this long? It's ridiculous, and it's so specific, and it's a really good profile, not for nothing. But what is it doing in this episode? Cut to Prentice, who I guess has just been driving around to see what the unsub saw. She's just, like, in her car, driving around. I don't know. I don't know, like, what type of profiling this is, but I, she's like, all I see are crops. See, that's confusing to me, too, because he, he's obviously using the trains to get around. It, they move a lot faster than just, like, driving or, you know, something like that. So I'm just like, how can he go all across California? And they're just like, yeah, we'll just stay right here. And then they, like, I, like, I don't get that at all. Prentice is going to take her car and she's going to drive. Yeah, she's going to drive around California. Like, isn't California's a massive state? I know that, like, most of the murders that they're talking about were in, like, Northern California. But I'm still just like, this is not realistic. Profile. This unsub is not getting around on Highway 99. His travel is linked in close proximity to rail lines. He is a male, uh, indignant transient between the ages of 25 and 45. He's fit enough for the physical demands of train hopping or catching out, as they say. He'll be bruised from jumping off and on trains and bruised from defending himself um, in any type of turf wars. He may look homeless, but he's taking clothes from his victim's homes, so he'll be the only transient on the tracks with clean clothing. The trains in the rail yard are his home, and when he gets tired of these, he chooses a house to make his home. He'll have a pronounced red dry rash around his mouth and nose, what's commonly referred to as a sniffer's rash. Um, because he's been taking household cleaners and he's abusing them as a psychoactive inhalant, such as nail polish remover. Um, these also include glue, paint thinner, 
lighter fluid, whatever is the cheapest high available. Referred to as tolly tolly heads. I Jesus. The fuck does that mean? Okay. <laughs> it's not explained in the episode that No, because because they it says because they derive a high from sniffing a chemical solvent. I think it's Tollyween because Tolly heads. But okay, they get high from sniffing stuff. And he's living out his fantasy in these homes. The fantasy is that it is his home for the night. He spends hours enjoying the comforts of the victim's home. Upon leaving, he takes clothing, money, jewelry, and small electronics. If you get close to him, you won't miss him. He will smell like a combination of human filth and paint thinner. Cut to a bow camp. Rossi and Morgan go to talk to some bows. One of them is clearly a tolly head. One of the bows offers some mulligan stew, and I was like, all right, we're going for it. I've already spent an hour and a half at this point. I'm going to look up what mulligan stew is. So mulligan stew is a family-friendly, easy stew made from tender stew meat, potatoes, corn, carrots, peas, green beans, and a perfect blend of Italian spices. This delectable stew is easily made in a Dutch oven but can be adapted for a slow cooker. Rossi berates the bows for not being more helpful even though they bait them with nutter butters. Then the mulligan stew bow draws on a tree and makes a sign indicating that cops are around and Morgan and Rossi are like, can you teach us the bow signs? Garcia finds the unsub's DNA in three more cities. The three new cities are all farm towns that are far from Highway 99. One of these murders is the first on the timeline weeks before anyone else was killed. Garcia also notices that there are big harvests during the time that the unsub was in each of these towns, leading the BAU to realize that the unsub is a farm migrant worker. So Morgan, Rossi, and Agent Daniels go to the first crime scene, a woman named Mildred Yance's house. We learned that Mildred would allow transients and migrant workers to stay at her home in exchange for work around the households. Then we get a little impromptu lesson on bow codes. All right, picture this, a little wave, and then it's O-X-O underneath it, and it means safe water. Okay. And then a picture of a train means a train. (laughs) You can catch the train here. And then we then out of nowhere, there's a cat. And Morgan says, a cat means a friendly old lady. <laughs> and then there's a T on the cat, which means that the friendly old lady trades uh, food or shelter for work. You know what this really reminds me of? You know those little symbols you see on the clothes tags in your clothing that's supposed to indicate if it's like, machine wash safe or dryer safe or iron safe that's how kind of cryptic this shit is meanwhile the unsub strikes again 
This time he kills a Hispanic couple, and this is the first couple of color that he's killed. All the other couples were white. And this time he also leaves a newspaper at the crime scene, which had an article calling the unsub the Highway 99 killer on it. I thought Hodge had asked Agent Lyman to retract this name, but this came out and this is never addressed again. So I don't know if one of his police officers spilled the beans to the media or if they had already released this to the media. The unsub also sped up his timeline and is killing just days apart. And if they don't find him soon, he's going to be, well, basically he's going to kill someone tonight based off of this escalation. Or as Prentice says, quote, Goldilocks will be sleeping in someone else's bed tonight. Apparently, the unsub sold some goods from one of the recent crime scenes at a local pawn shop. We learned that the big harvest farms set up camps for migrant workers during the harvest season. And because these camps are subsidized by the state, they require photo IDs and signatures, giving the BAU a way to see if the unsub stayed at any of these camps. Garcia also highlights one specific team of migrant workers whose labor path seems to mimic that of the unsubs. These groups are called quadrillas. Hotch, Prentice, and Rossi discuss why the unsub is here at all. If he's pawning goods that he stole from his victims' houses, there's no reason for him to be following around the quadrillas. Out of nowhere, Garcia's like, found him. Nailed it. Armando Salinas, and he's a Mexican national. Customs and immigration have a rap sheet on him for theft and assault. He's wanted in a connection with a bunch of burglaries. So Hotch, Prentice, and Rossi track down Armando's quadrilla, and one of the members of the quadrilla is like, Armando is my brother. I have a lot of mixed feelings about this actor. I don't know enough about the struggles of migrant farm workers. And obviously with this sort of thing, it's just, it's, it's not good. And I don't like the way he's portrayed. And I don't like, I don't like the way any of this is portrayed, but this scene just feels especially tone deaf to me because This guy's brother, Ruben Garcia, is like telling this story and it's so sad and it's so upsetting about the unsub's past and they've added this like dramatic spooky music to it. And I'm like, what is happening? This is so upsetting. So anyways, here's the story. Apparently, Armando was kicked out of the quadrilla because he was doing drugs. So they're saying Ruben rejecting him was the stressor. But Armando has been in trouble his whole life, and he's spent time in a jail in Mexico. Apparently, he's been following his brother Ruben around and and leaving money for Ruben at the camps. Jeff, for the love of God, you have to stop doing that. You can't do this, Jeff. You're making too much noise. Oh, my God. So Prentice is interviewing Ruben, and he says, quote, When he was a kid, he slept on the floor. In jail, he slept on the floor. All he ever talked about was having a house of his own, a bed to sleep on. 
But the way it's delivered is like threatening. When he was a kid, he slept on the floor. It's just, it was a really bad choice. It's troubling. It was not good. So anyways, cut to a lady at her house. She snuggled up on the couch with a blanket. She's watching TV. She's in for the night. She's done. She's not dealing with anything else. She sees a news story about the unsub, and this news story is warning residents to lock all their doors and keep their lights on. And she's like, this is a good idea. So she gets up to lock her door and immediately sees the unsub. And he takes off into the night like a bat out of hell. Rossi and Morgan track down Armando, our unsub, in a rail yard. They're looking through boxcars trying to find him. The railway police are are there too. One of them is shot. And the unsub gets on top of a departing train. And for a minute, we're like, what is this, speed with Keanu Reeves? But it's not. Uh, So Morgan also gets on the train. So they're fighting on the train. And Hotch is like, you drive to whoever, whatever officer he's with. And then Hotch is pursuing them in a car. And the unsub is about to kick Morgan off the train. And then Hotch shoots the unsub who falls off the train and dies. Cut to BAU headquarters, and JJ introduces us to Jordan Todd, who will be taking over for her while she's on maternity leave. It's the lady from the coffee shop that Morgan was hitting on. This will be interesting. That's the the bow episode, everybody. (laughs) Who wants to do a deep dive? Um, just some quick statistics. I got this from the Center for Farm Worker Families. So it's an education advocacy and support uh, website. It says one third, uh, between one third and half of all farm workers in America reside in California. And that is roughly 500,000 to 800,000 farm workers. 75% of these farm workers are undocumented. And so some of the things that I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, like they don't really talk about the the stuff that farm workers deal with. Um, but so I looked into that a little bit more. And one thing that I guess I was like not surprised by this, but like hearing it is it's like messed up. So. Um, farm workers are not protected under national labor regulation laws. So that means they're exempt from most minimum wage and hour guarantees. Um, they're not entitled to overtime pay or mandatory breaks even. Outside of living conditions, like they are working in the fields and the hot California weather all the time, all year round. So, um, Every year, uh, this was an interesting fact, there's 2 billion pounds of licensed pesticides used in the U.S. There are over 20,000 cases of pesticide poisoning among farm workers. And the average expectancy, life expectancy for farm workers is only 49. What? Oh, my God. Additionally, California is the deadliest state 
in the U.S. for Mexican workers, Mexican migrant workers, and um, Mexicans are 80% more likely to, to die on the job than an act than any native worker of the United States. So yeah, that was a that was a really um, upper of a uh, research deep dive. Yeah, but I th- I think it's important because like the bottom line of this episode is they're like it, they kind of push this whole these migrant workers to the side, and then it just becomes about this crazed hobo who shame on him for wanting wanting a house. Yeah, so I did also look into just like crime statistics because, you know, like they chose to make the unsub a migrant farm worker. Um, And I think just in general in the United States, there's a lot of politicization of like, oh, like migrant workers bring more crime to our country. But in fact, some of the research I found was actually uh, the opposite effect where crime rates go down in areas where uh, migrant workers are more prevalent. So I'm like shifting this in a slightly different direction. Um, and I wanted to talk about, um, I guess, the commodification of homeless and houselessness, if that makes sense. Uh, and this TikTok is by uh, from the account uh, at Queer and Traveling. Um, and maybe we can link to this um, in our notes. But basically, in this video, this, this person whose name I don't know because they don't have it published anywhere from what I've seen is talking about how there has been a really big uptick in... Um, hashtag van living and hashtag tent living and uh there's been this uptick in people who are choosing to live in a van or in a tent without a house and adopt a nomadic lifestyle and they're content creators so they'll be like oh this is the tent i'm living in or look at this look at this van that I have and all these parts that I built. Um, and the only reason that we as a society like seem to like be like, oh, that's so cool, is because of class. So there is basically this trend of gentrification in uh, van life or tent life Um, And because if it was a person of color or a low income, we would be like, that's a gross homeless person. And it's becoming a problem because it is taking away um, parts and resources for vans from people who like genuinely don't have anywhere else to be. And I also found this other shorter article um, from the oral, oh, sorry, the Olaf messenger. And this is from 2016. So it's not quite to, uh, you know, the, where it is now, where it's like this lifestyle is cool and fun and romantic, but it's rooted in classism 
because the people who are choosing to do it, it's more of like going on a field trip rather than necessity. It's another thing that people I don't think know of or is aware of about like van life, especially is that it's a community. Um, Nomadland, the movie that um, won at the Oscars and stuff, shows that community. And it is a community of bartering and trading and being like, I don't need this anymore. Do you need this? So the problem with these van life people is that a lot of them don't engage in the community and don't give back to the community. The way to tie this into this episode is there's a lot going on, I guess. Uh, You know, there's a lot more to these nomadic lives than we can see in a 44-minute television show. Um, but it's it's really interesting, and I was not aware of how detrimental this Instagram-worthy, you know, kind of lifestyle apparently can be to the people who are houseless. Anyways, <laughs> should we get back to the bows? <laughs> yeah, let, let's get back to the bows. Um, what do you think about the criminal? See, now I have like a totally different take on it now. Now I'm kind of like justice. Also, I love this actor. And if you have a chance to like, look at what he really looks like, he is hot. Just saying. Not that it matters or should have any way in on the scoring, but this is just to say, and he does not look great in the wire either. Not for nothing, but, uh, he's, he's a, a very sexy man. I don't know, but I'm kind of like justice and I feel like they didn't do justice to him. And this is framed in as he's this evil, crazy, drug abusing hobo, basically. Uh, And I, I really feel that the episode missed the point. Like they were so good at setting it up and bringing all the correct elements to really make a statement, but they missed it. They missed making a worthwhile statement about this. Getting the the backstory from the brother, you know, like you do, you do feel sorry for him. Like you understand where he's coming from, but like it doesn't justify or like matter because he's like brutally murdering people for no reason. Right. It's like this is this is someone acting out of desperation um and uh out of desperation and you know ill uh i guess uh mentally unwellness should we just give it a 10 yeah character development and character arcs we get to see morgan flirt that sets it up to like because now that we know that todd is going to join the team once jj um goes on maternity leave like there could be some type of like romance or um, intrigue. There's intrigue. Yeah, intrigue for sure. So I don't know. Like, I think maybe higher than a 10 just because there is a little bit of something. Do you want to give it a 15? Yeah, 15 fine. Forensics and context. We got some nail polish remover. We did. I actually really like this profile. Listen, I'm turned. I'm. Ch- I'm changing my whole goddamn mind about this episode. I'm like, damn, I had some, I had a grudge or something. I seven seconds to this episode, but in the opposite way where I'm now like, maybe it's not a, tr- a heap of trash that's on fire. I, I think this is a really good thorough profile that makes a lot of sense. So I think we should give a lot of points. Do you want to give it a 20 or do you want to give it like an 18, 19? 
Have we ever given, uh, I mean, in just a standalone episode where we're not giving it a 100 or a really high score, have we ever given? That's magical. I hope the audio caught that. I hope so, too. Who, yeah, who's got the me. train? That was, that was you? Me. Yeah, hopefully you pick it up. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, I think we should fuck around and give it a 20. Script writing needs a low score. Who the hell came up with the bulls and the bows? That's like a three. Yes, I'm down. All right, background characters. We got Todd, we got the bulls and the bows. I don't know, maybe a ten? Yeah. You know? I'm good with that. Let's do some quick math, guys. Yeah, see see what how we what we do. Fifty-eight. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, go on Instagram at Real And we'll, we'll link that in Jen's podcast description. You can follow us on such podcasts on everything. We do have a Patreon where we are covering Mind Hunter. You can find the links to everything in our show notes. Follow me, yourdepartment.com. Yeah, my, you can find me at Between Stage and Screen uh, podcast on Instagram and Between Stage and Screen. It's on all of your listening platforms and pleasures, and it's kind of dead right now, but give it a gander. Give yeah, it a give it a gander. Well, goodbye. Bye. Bye.